Those of you who have been attending uh, are aware that we're making some adjustments in our services here at Avazion. And uh, the board asked me to come in and, uh, and meddle a little bit uh, with the way things are, do are being done. So uh, adding some music, some new music, and doing some new things. And I was very interested. Uh, in my normal reading of the Bible, my normal uh, schedule of reading in the Scripture, I was very interesting to discover that as I read Ezra chapter 3, I found there something I never found before, never saw before, I've read Ezra before, but I found there a kind of a, an itemization of what it takes, according to the Bible, to have a Jewish service that really works. So I thought I'd share that with you today. So I'm going to ask Alec to come up. And you'll see up on the screen, Sean is going to project for us um, the third chapter of, of, the, uh, of the book of Ezra. And I am going to find that chapter for Alec. And I'm going to ask him to read this with his mellifluous vo voice. Here's, here's a, a microphone for you, Alec. You can stand right over here, if you will. And uh, this takes place about 536 BC. Koresh, otherwise known as Cyrus, the king of Persia, has given the Jews permission to go back to the land and rebuild the temple. And so this is all about instituting acceptable worship. So as Alec, Alec reads, pay attention. Then we're going to take some lessons out of this for all of us today. But before that happens, let's have a word of prayer. Father, you've said in your word that it's the spirit that gives life and the flesh is of no avail. You've said that unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And I'm keenly aware, God, that unless you touch our hearts, unless you open our hearts, open our minds by the power of your spirit, unless you renew us through the water of your spirit, then all that will happen at this point is words. But may my words and these words be your words. And may they awaken us, even as we read about uh, Eleazar today, as Yeshua stood outside the tomb. He said three words, Lazarus, come forth. They were his words. And that brought life from the dead. Would your words please, God, even from my lips, bring life from the dead this morning that we might live unto you with new vibrancy. I ask this with thanksgiving and confidence 
in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now let's listen to God's word, the lips of Alec, as he reads to us Ezra chapter 3. When the seventh month arrived, after the people of Israel had resettled in the towns, the people gathered with one accord in Yerushalayim. Then Yeshua, the son of Yotzadak, with his fellow Kohanim, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, organized rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel, so that they could offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the Torah of Moshe, in the man of God. They set up the altar on its former bases. Despite feeling threatened by the peoples of the surrounding countries, they offered on it burnt offerings to Adonai, the morning and evening burnt offerings. They observed the festival of Sukkot as written, offering daily the number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day, and afterwards the regular burnt offering, the offerings for Rosh Hodesh, and those for all the designated times set apart for Adonai as well as those of everyone who volunteered a voluntary offering to Adonai. From the first day of the seventh month, they began offering burnt offerings to Adonai, even though the foundation of Adonai's temple had not yet been laid. They also gave money for the stone workers and carpenters, as well as food, drink, and olive oil for the people of Zidon and Sior, bringing cedar logs from the Lebanon to the sea and to Yafo, in accordance with the authorization granted by Koresh, king of Persia. In the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Yerushalayim, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Yeshua, the son of Yotzadak, the rest of their kinsmen, though Kohanim, and Levinim, and all who had come out of exile to Yerushalayim, began the project. They appointed the Levi'im, aged 20 and up, to direct work in the house of Adonai. Yeshua and his sons and brothers, Kadmiel and his sons, and Yehuda's sons together directed the workers in the house of God. Also the sons of Henadad, with their sons and their kinsmen, the Levi'im. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Adonai, the Kohanim in their robes with trumpets, and the Levi'im, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places Adonai, as Adonai, as David, king of Israel, had instructed. They sang antiphonally, praising and giving thanks to Adonai, for he is good, for his grace continues forever toward Israel." All the people raised a great shout of praise to Adonai because the foundation of the house of Adonai had been laid. But many of the Kohanim, Leviim, and heads of fathers' clans, the old men who had seen the first house standing on its foundation, wept out loud when they saw this house, while others shouted out loud for joy so that the people couldn't distinguish the noise of the joyful shouting from the noise of people's weeping for the people were shouting so loudly that the noise could be heard at a great distance. Thank you, Alec. Perfect. Thank you. So, seven characteristics. If you look up there, you should have some dates. The edict given by Cyrus the Persian was in 538, and two years later, Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, or Yeshua, the high priest, led the return. There were just under 50,000 people. Uh, you know, 
uh, I never really paid attention to the numbers before. You skip over those things. There were just under 50,000 people who made their way back. And 80 years later, Nehemiah comes back with less than 2,000 people. And all of that work was done by these people. And uh, between, and sometime uh, uh, in 520, between 520 and 516, God sent Zechariah and Haggai, the prophets, to the people to say, come on, folks, let's finish the work on the temple. And they did eventually finish the temple. They started in 536. They finished in 516, 20 years. So that gives you a little bit of the background. Let's see. I do have a mic. Is this on? It's on. Okay, it's good. So let's look at seven interesting uh, characteristics. This, these gripped me, and I hope they'll grip you. First of all, and they all start with the letter M. Why did I do that? Because I want to remember it. I want to use this again. So if it's a little contrived, uh, go ahead, sue me. First, Mizbeach. Mizbeach is an altar, sacrificial worship. The people have just come back. They've traveled. It took them about four months to come from Persia, and they did not take a subway a train, a plane, uh, an Uber. They slept four months. They came there. They, they deposited themselves in the various towns. And then what's the, what is their first agenda? Their first agenda is to establish the altar of God. There's a lot of congregations around of all kinds. And I'm not here to criticize them. But I am here to suggest the things that our congregation should stand for. And the major reason we should come here every Shabbat is not to meet with our friends, although I love to meet with my friends. I miss Melissa today. Uh, not uh, to have a nice meal and chat. Not even to hear a good sermon, hopefully. The reason we should come and may God grant this to really be born in our spirits. So we come to worship God. That should be priority one. That's what it was for these people. We read that they were, they, they, they were afraid of the surrounding peoples. And you would have thought, look, uh, you, can, you can take care of worship later on. First, you've got to arm yourself and defend yourself against these people. But they recognized that their first defense was God himself. And they needed to give unto the Lord the glory due his name. That is priority one. You know, Yeshua said, I quoted this last week, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Shema says, you shall love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Priority one. Now, we all know that. But I'm not concerned about what we know. I'm praying that God will transform what we do and how we feel. I long to see that, and maybe it's already so and I don't see it, but I long to see it even greater than it is now, that we all, when we wake up in the morning on Saturday morning, we decide to come here, that our, our primary thought is, I'm going to worship God. And by the way, an, an altar is a place to give sacrifices. I won't have time to preach on this today, but an interesting question I'm going to be asking you 
is what kinds of sacrifices do we bring when we come to worship God? That's an interesting question, but not for now. So that's number one. First is the priority of the worship of God. The second thing is mechonah. Mechonah, it says they established the altar on its base. On its, uh, the word mechonah can mean a base or a stand, or some translations say foundation. They established that altar on the very same place where the former altar stood. And this reminds us that our worship at Ahavatzion, regardless of what other congregations might do, and they do it very well, our worship at Ahavatzion seeks to perpetuate the worship of the people of Israel. We put our worship on the same base. Uh, I know people in Los Angeles say, oh, you go to Avatzion, the service is so long. I was thinking about it during, during, during the service. Oh, the service is so long. Well, I don't like overly long services. Nobody does. But that's not the point. We're not here to have the shortest service humanly possible. We are here to give the Lord the glory to his name, and we are here to establish our worship on the ancient base that God has given to the Jewish people for us to worship him. That's number two, Mechonah. Number three is Moadim. We remember, we read, and I'll, I'll read it here again to you. They observed the festival of Sukkot, <clears throat> as is written, offering daily the number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day, and afterwards the burnt, regular burnt offering, the offerings for Rosh Chodesh, and those for the designated time set apart for Adonai, as well as those of everyone who volunteered a voluntary offering to Adonai. So this is the third thing. We not only intend to make the worship of God unambiguously priority one, and to establish that worship on the base of the inheritance that we have, the Masorah, what we've received, but also that includes that Jewish holy days are special occasions to us. I often say about this, it's kind of like, how many of you grew up in a home where there was a, a, a calendar hanging in the kitchen? Raise your hand. How many of you grew up in a home where that calendar had circles on it? And what were those circles for? Huh? To remind you of certain days. To remind you of certain days. It might be your mother's birthday. Has you ever forgotten your birthday? Good. It might be, it might be an anniversary. Uh, for the Jewish people, the calendar hanging in our national home has certain dates like Passover, where we, we want to remember to thank God for our redemption from Egypt. We don't want to forget the date. And all, all these other dates in the, the family calendar of the Jewish people. So Messianic Jewish worship properly, from my point of view, starts with uh, the priority of worship, giving to the Lord the glory due his name. Uh, and it's built on the base of a heritage that we have received. And it also doesn't treat these holy days of our calendars like any other day. Okay? That's number three. Oh, we have no number three. I sent you another one version. You left out number three. Number four is moolah. Moolah is, a, is a, a very respectable Hebrew word. 
Ezra chapter 3, verse 7. They also gave money for the stone workers and the carpenters, as well as food, drink, and olive oil for the people of Sidon and Sor, bringing cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea and on to Yafo in accordance with the authorization granted to Korosh, the king of Persia. Ladies and gentlemen, it is none of my business what you give, but it is my business that you give. Why? Because giving is a sign of spiritual health. You'll find, uh, as you read this account, one of the signs of the fact that the people were spiritually healthy is that they gave generously. Same thing happens in the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. The people gave. When it came to building the temple, the people gave so much money, they finally had to say, look, stop already. We've got nowhere to put it. It's not good to develop the habit of being a schnorrer, uh, a mooch. It's not good. If you've, I'm not criticizing you, because I've been there too. If we get into the habit of saying, well, not today, I'll let somebody else do it. It's not good for your health. Every week you should give, and I don't care if it's a nickel. A nickel is good enough because it represents, when you go over there and you put a nickel in, you're saying, I'm invested in this congregation. Now, frankly, some of you, after you give a nickel one week, you'll say, come on now, I can afford more. Next week you're going to give a dime. Who knows what happens the week after that. But don't get into, it's not my business what you give. I don't want to know, and I don't care. What I do care, as a person charged with your spiritual welfare, it is not good for your health to have the habit of being a mooch, of feeling, of feeling unable. You are able. You're able to do what you're able to do. Not what somebody else does, what you're able to do. So number four is moolah. Uh, I had sent you another PowerPoint that had number three. I had, I had missed number three, and I apologize, but I sent you another PowerPoint with that. Sorry you didn't catch it. Number one, then, is the priority of worship. Number two, it's built on the ancient base. Number three, it pays due respect to the holy days. And number four, part of our worship is being in the habit of giving. Um, I don't find worship in the Bible that omits that. Number five is music. Some people would be inclined to think that music is just kind of entertainment, and, it's, and in some congregations I've seen it. They have the liturgy and then they have the music. The liturgy is something you kind of tolerate because you have to do it, but the real worship is the music, and the music can be just about anything. That's not the way we do things here. Music is important, but it should be integrated with the service. You'll notice that the music we do is thematically related directly to what we're doing worship-wise in the service. And it says in Ezra 3, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Adonai, the Kohanim in their robes and trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals took their places to praise Adonai and David, king of Israel, has instructed them. They sang antiphonally, praising and giving thanks to Adonai, for he is good and his grace endures forever. Music is part of the worship of the temple. I have an article to give you before you leave about what it says in the Talmud about how the sacrifices were offered in the second temple. And the sacrifices were mingled with music. They were not considered to be kosher sacrifices. 
if there was no music. We mingle our sacrifice of praise with music. I make no apologies. I wouldn't make an apology if we omitted it. It's number five. It's good enough for Ezra, good enough for me. Number six. Now we go to Haggai and Zechariah, who had to really get things done. Number six is God's mighty Holy Spirit. Haggai says, he refers to in chapter 2, verse 3 to 9, he says, my spirit remains with you, so don't be afraid. And Zechariah, who's also talking about the building of, of the temple and of the city, he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says Adonai of hosts. So, truly messianic worship pays due respect to the Holy Spirit. The Messiah has come. We read, talking about festivals, in the festival of the water, water drawing, the Hoshana Rabbah, uh, uh, Yeshua stands up in John chapter 7 in the temple, and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the text says, this he spoke of the Spirit, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Yeshua had not been yet been glorified. But he has been glorified. And on Shavuot, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, at Shavuot, one of the things that we commemorate is that he has been glorified. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's ruling on high, and he has poured forth the Spirit. So our worship needs to integrate the actual presence of the Spirit in a way that is appropriate, that pays due honor, that is not just cultural shtick, but is really a responsiveness to the divine presence. That's number six. Number seven is Mashiach. It's interesting. The book of Zechariah, which happens 80 years after, as I said, 80 years after Ezra, and is also dealing with the restoration of the city and of the temple. The book of Zechariah talks about the Mashiach all over the place. In chapter three, uh, there's a ritual, and uh, God says, Behold, my servant, the branch, Hanet, then Hanetzer. That's, that's the name for the Mashiach. Then that's chapter 3. Chapter 6, this one, the Netzer, the branch, is referred to as a priest upon his throne. Priests don't sit on thrones. But who do you know who is both king and priest? Only one person. Yeshua is the only one who's allowed to be that. Chapter 9 says, your king will come to you riding on a donkey. Chapter 12 says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. So there, we, we cannot have messianic services that do not pay proper attention to the Mashiach. So there we have our seven characteristics. Mizbeach, the altar, Mechonah, the right base, the, uh, the Moadim, the uh, holy days. Number four, moolah, our personal investment in what we want to see happen. Music, the mighty Holy Spirit, and the Mashiach. These are the seven things that I look for to be integrated and given proper attention here at Avatzion. Do I have another slide, please, sir? I think I do. Three more words, there's two slides. I hope that there will be born in your heart 
a sense of anticipation that something is happening at Avatsu. I'm going to tell you something. There are two big concerns that are going to be establishing synagogues in Los Angeles in the next year. I'm to know about this. If you want to go to a big, a, a big Megillah, there'll be big Megillahs. But that doesn't mean there'll be no place for us because we'll probably be the only congregation in Los Angeles that sees fit to integrate these things as we do, which we've been trying to do for 45 or 50 years. So I hope you'll have a sense of anticipation, not boredom, not, eh, but anticipation. Number two, participation. I, uh, I want this to be participatory worship. Everyone who comes should be fully invested in, the, in giving to God the glory due his name. And finally, multiplication. Don't expect me to be the person, or don't expect Joshua Rood, don't expect Sean, don't expect uh, Melissa, don't expect us to be the people who, who need to make the congregation grow. Each of you should be emissaries of the kingdom of God. You should be inviting your friends, especially your Jewish friends, to come here. And if you don't have any Jewish friends, pray. God's got a few Jews in Los Angeles. And he might be able to connect you to them. One more. One more, Sean. This is our goal. That when we come to Avatsion, from beginning to end, we will present our service as our offering to God. This is something that struck me. We talk about a service. Who does the service serve? It's not meant to serve us. It's meant to be a service to him where we give unto the Lord the glory to his name, where we try to do things in such a, an excellent way that it's a worthy sacrifice to present to the one who did everything for us. Shabbat Shalom.